Welcome to Finance Feeds Podcasts. Finance Feeds is the world's premier interactive Forex industry news source, providing the latest insights and current affairs from within the online trading industry worldwide. Enjoy our latest podcast episode. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining Finance Feeds Podcast. This is episode nine. My name is Nikolai Isayev. I'm editor-in-chief of Finance Feeds. I'm joined today by Andrew Ralich, who's CEO and co-founder of One Zero. Andrew, welcome to Finance Feed Podcast. Thank you, and I uh, appreciate you having me. Uh, always a pleasure. Um my first question is, um, actually, we saw each other the last time, uh, it was actually in June in Cyprus at the IFX Expo. Um, I just wanted to, right off the bat, find out how your summer's been. Um, what have you been doing? Have you been uh, here in the U.S. on the East Coast? I have, and, and, and thanks for asking. I think that uh, IFX Expo feels like it was yesterday and also a, a year ago at the same time. It's, mm-hmm. it's been a busy and exciting summer here. Um, you know, on a, on a work and business front, I think, you know, we're seeing similar things here that, that I hope everybody in the world is seeing a, a, a return to a relative normal, uh, getting back in the office together, um, re- reintegrating into restaurants and, and uh, the, the exciting parts of life that, that we missed so much during the pandemic. And uh, on the back of that, on, on a personal side, we had a absolutely fantastic summer season here, uh, uh, um, abnormally warm and, and um, void of rain. And it seemed like when it did rain, it was on weekdays when we were sitting on Zoom or in the office and uh, got some really nice weekends. So time out at the lake and, and time with family. So uh, re- really great summer. That's awesome. And um, where is your office located, if you don't mind me asking? Excited to say and and spoiling some, some upcoming PR and, and introspective into the new space. We, we've just recently moved to a, a new part of the Boston area called Assembly Square and, and opened up a, a brand new shiny office um, to celebrate the, the return from fully remote work at One Zero and uh, continue to add some space and scale to the growing team in this area. Awesome. That, that's, that's really awesome. And so um, am I correct in understanding that you're, you're probably a native of Massachusetts, I would think. Um, I saw even on LinkedIn, um, you en- attended Worcester Polytechnic Institute um, in, your, in your younger years. <laughs> it, it also, also seems like yesterday and maybe a little bit more than a year ago at this point. <laughs> um, it, 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 interestingly, I'm going to very specifically correct that I, I, I was born and, and have spent most of my life in New Hampshire, which uh, in, in the grand scheme of the world, I, I tell people I'm from Boston and they could usually throw a relative pin on, on a map of the U.S. and know that I'm up in the Northeast. But mm-hmm. as you zoom in on this area, um, I'm, very, I'm very specific that I'm not from Massachusetts and, and I'm from New Hampshire. But <laughs> uh, from, from a global standpoint, I'd say... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a proud patriot and citizen of the United States, which is a, 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 a country, technically speaking. Um, a, a New Englander is probably the best definition. I spend a lot of time in New Hampshire, mm-hmm. work in Massachusetts, spend time in Maine and Vermont, uh, depending on the season. And, you know, I, I often tell people or encourage um, a, a lot of the friends and, and relationships, yourself included, I've developed as, as a result of 
traveling for business, um, you know, please, please look at the U.S. and, and remember that, that we're, we're, not, we're not all cowboy hat wearing Texans or, or um, laid back Californians. You got a lot of different cultures here in the U.S. and, and often say it's, it's kind, of, kind of good to think about the U.S. like you would Europe, except the states are, are smaller countries and we each have our own individual cultures and uh, uh, u- unique approaches to, to uh, the world and, and, and how we engage with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's actually, it's inter- interesting that you mentioned Europe and sort of to compare the, U- you know, the different states in the U.S. to Europe. Um, you know, if when I'm in Europe, I can if I'm generally talking to someone in Europe, I can gauge very quickly by their accent, right, or their pronunciation in English, kind of where they may be from. But with you, like, I don't hear the typical what I would consider like a typical stereotypical Northeast sort of accent. I know you just said, you know, I'm not from Massachusetts, but since you work, you know, you work in Boston, you spend a lot of time in New Hampshire, uh, kind of this quintessential sort of Northeast accent is not something that I've never heard from you. And I guess the question is, is that something, you know, uh, based on your upbringing or family history, kind of, did you spend a lot of time in New Hampshire and and no time in Massachusetts or, or whatnot that kind of, you know, there's no way to gauge specifically by by your speaking where Andrew is actually, where actually Andrew's actually from. You land on an uh, on an, on an interesting point that that used to out me when I when I would tell people, uh, especially customers, we're from Boston. I got I got tired of explaining where New Hampshire is to, to the <laughs> audience, so I'd say I live in Boston, and maybe that was said over email and. I remember specifically showing up to a, a, a Swiss client in the early days of One Zero, and and I, I could tell there was some trepidation or hesitation once we started to engage. And I, I think they were expecting like a Matt Damon Ben Affleck drawl as a result of me me citing myself as being from Boston and and wanted to say, hey, I I, I parked my car over there in Harvard Yard, and and that that. I have what I what I believe is a typical New Hampshire accent, um, and and I think the closer you get to, to downtown Boston, the closer that that actual accent applies. I think as as you get even a 10, 20, 30 mile radius from the city, you start to get a more typical New England dialect. Which um, you know, I use the word "wicked" quite often in in a context of size or scale, not not in terms of you know the evilness of a witch. Uh, I, I think that that would be one of the the best ways to categorize somebody from New England, that specific word comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. And I actually, you know, it's it's funny that you mentioned that, like, you know, Boston, you will hear that accent. And again, those words that you just mentioned and some of the stuff that we've heard in Hollywood movies from from the from the actors. I actually got some time to spend in, in the south coast of Massachusetts recently, about a month ago. Um, a little bit on the west side of the Cape and places like Dartmouth and... Um, I can't remember some of the other ones, but some of the people down there, I mean, those accents are very heavy, obviously it's Southern Massachusetts. And it seemed to me like the, the closer you get to the coast and the water, the more, the more pronounced these accents actually are. <laughs> I, I think the closer you are to the region, you could nail it. And if you jumped across the water to Nantucket, you'd get into some of that uh, slow speaking old money draw that, 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 that you'd characterize almost with a bit of the South. But, uh, you know, I think the, uh, the, the, the quintessential Boston accent, you're talking Southie and, and, and downtown. And, and unfortunately I, I can replicate it, but not so well. And, uh, you know, 
maybe it's a gift to be undistinguishable in your dialect, uh, especially as a global traveler. People can't pin you directly to one place in the world. I, I think it absolutely is. I'm somebody who was born in the Soviet Union, but I feel like I speak English with either no accent or almost no accent. So most of the time people they can't tell so they'll just ask <laughs> you know hey well, what's what's up with your english and and again much like you it's a it's a lot of explaining and sort of you know um points on the map just so that uh, people kind of have a grasp or an understanding of of, of what the backstory is but um I, I wanted to talk uh briefly about one zero the company you head up uh, I wanted to actually say congratulations on making it into the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing private companies. And uh, recently I saw that you guys won the best liquidity aggro aggregator award at the FX Markets EFX Awards uh, this year. I think Stuart Brock was the one that um, well, was the one that accepted it. Um, can you take us a little bit on a journey uh, of a uh, from when you know one zero was just getting started in 2009 and how it's grown over the years to where it is today because it seems like you guys have a lot of stuff going on yeah absolutely i think first of all appreciate the kudos on the award and and you know we we pride ourselves in getting that type of recognition especially not 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 only related to to growth or industry level accomplishments with within either the retailer institutional segments of, of the FX market, but you know, also have done a great job recently in getting recognized as, as a great place to work and uh, have, have some recognition both in the past and the future to, to, to tease out an upcoming release where you know, our, our employees have been surveyed and, and a very thorough process has been undertaken to evaluate the, the, the quality of environment we create for people and their families. So mm -hmm. it, it's great to be recognized. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the the journey starts back in 2009 with a with a with a much greener Andrew Ralich who who was a, a few years out of out of college uh, a computer science degree in hand and and an inkling to to engage in financial markets and and converge the the technological expertise that comes with being a software developer and and a, a curiosity I always had for for financial markets. Um, stumbled into the FX space and, and saw some really interesting opportunities. Um, I wasn't personally the caliber of developer who was ever going to uh, write quantitative analysis systems at, at Citadel trading models in the equity market, but mm -hmm. um, did, did, did find this asset class to present some really interesting challenges. You know, we, we were beginning a regulatory transition for the regional brokerage space, the, the, the retail FX market in 2009, that, that was clearly going to change the face of this industry in terms of transparency, execution quality. Um, but the challenge to develop kit in this space was, was different than what exists in, in exchange-traded markets. It was very fragmented sources of liquidity. Um, I got familiar with the institutional side of the space, which was being serviced by you know, even even back 13 years ago, a number of incumbent aggregators and ECNs, and and it 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 appeared that the there were some opportunities immediately within retail, but that 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 even within the insto space, that there were some additional challenges in scale, performance, uh, you know, reporting and 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 data capabilities, and and um, 
I knew well enough to see the opportunity. I also knew well enough to know that um, I wasn't necessarily the individual to, to architect the long-term strategy for this market from an architecture and performance standpoint. So mm-hmm. got together with, with one of my closest friends from school who was working in the video game industry at the time and had just shipped a, a, a very successful title for, I believe it was Xbox 360 back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I said, hey, there's this opportunity in FX. There's some short-term um means of generating revenue through connecting a platform called MetaTrader. In the long term, there's some really interesting architecture challenges in terms of throughput and and, and demands on the system, but also adaptability into a, a very disparate space of liquidity providers. And, you know, fast forward kind of 10 years from there, we, we um, really, really hit the nail on the head in terms of how we approach this opportunity. We, we, uh, agreed to 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 partner up together, uh, code the technology on the back of you know a couple beanbag chairs and laptops. We we didn't go out and look for funding or or um, get a get a big loan from our parents. We we put some sweat equity into the business from an early stage and and um, you know on the back of a desire to build a very transparent software for this space, a, a, a very um, fair software and 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 also to to not be a counterparty there are a lot of technology companies at that time that were blurring the lines between an lp and and a tech provider and um we we stayed true to that cause and just wrote an amazing wave of opportunity around the world as as regulation like mifid amir and 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 asic and msa and other other different regimes rubber stamped what we saw what was going on in the us and even took it steps further so Mm-hmm. Been a great journey, built an awesome team around us, um, humbled by the, the success and recognition that we've received and uh, excited to say that, you know, that there's a, a, a ramp of additional opportunity for us to continue to make change. This market continues to, to uh, do what we thought, which is present new challenges in its fragmentation and, and, um, and evolution. Mm-hmm. And I think also in March of this year, there was another award that you guys won for data, um, data source offering from A Team Innovation Awards. Um, can you talk a little bit how you know how much data um, or market data and trading analytics, uh, how big of a part that plays today for you know retail players, institutional players in you know the traditional brokerage space. Oh, it's a, it's it's a massive differentiator for us today, and part of that is is a result of some good planning. Um, part of it's a result of some shifts in kind of a, a broader scale technological capabilities to process and and warehouse the the just massive scale of data that you see coming out of um, this specific space. You know the. the the equities market or exchange traded markets are are known to be very fast, very latency sensitive. But you know, at the end of the day, there's 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 a price for for Apple stock, uh, um, and and that's the combination of a number of, of different exchanges and and central limit order books. But the FX market's fundamentally different. Every, every taker, every counterparty, every bilateral relationship that exists can potentially generate generate a unique pricing set and. and for a long time, we, we observed this market as, um, you know, the haves and have nots, the institutional market participants who, who had the capacity to purchase the, the, 
scale database platforms and, and developers who knew how to operate on them, of, of which there seemed to be only a handful in the world, had a monopoly on on the ability to harness that disparate data and and utilize it to to service their clients, understand the the best ways to build liquidity functions and the best ways to to service their counterparties, both both from a taking and making standpoint. And the, we saw a shift start to start to open up as as the cloud became more accessible. Both, both from a, a, an adoptability standpoint for, for financial services companies and also a, a, a price point for, for those capable of harnessing those new capabilities and, and made a decision to take all of the data generated within one zero and, and marshal it up into the public cloud to be able to analyze crunch and, and provide both raw data access, insights and, and business intelligence. And, and today, you know, the major differentiator that's being seen across numerous industries is the ability to take massive scale data in real time and provide a feedback loop into the system, start mm-hmm. to affect changes on a day-to-day basis in, in how brokers operate our, our flagship platform, um, the liquidity hub, and, and use data and analytics at scale to do so. And all of that, you know, I, I was using this term a lot. I haven't used it as much lately, but there was there is a democratization of, of data and analytics capabilities at scale that occurred in 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 the late twenty teens that that allowed us to be able to harness the resources necessary and uh, much like my finance team will often quiz me to see you know what 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 was this financial metric last month and and testing it how in tune I am with the business I, mm-hmm. I also like to play guessing games on the data side and and. The last time they asked, I was off by an order of magnitude. I believe one zero is is harnessing in our data warehouse over a petabyte of data uh, currently at rest and and generating three to four terabytes of data a day just on the back of our existing ecosystem and franchise. Jesus, that's a lot of data. <laughs> wow. Um, well, thank you for those insights. That's definitely um, very interesting to hear because in my mind and in, in my conversations with other industry uh, participants, so to say, market data is a huge topic these days and seems like we'll, we'll only grow as we, as we move forward in, um, in sort of the natural progression of technology and trading. <clears throat> here's, here's a question I wanted to ask you. When I speak to some of your colleagues like Phil Weisberg, we see each other at like industry events sometimes. I'll do um, I'll do quick interviews and things like that. Um, I see that you know whether it's you, Phil, or just the company in general, you've sort of taken this position of being a thought leader uh, and, and driving thought leadership and driving innovation for really the the larger global brokerage community. Um, and if you if you agree that that's the case, that my perception is correct. Um, what do you think is next for, for this for this space going forward in the next few years? Yeah, it, it's it, it's a humbling term and and one that we take very seriously. I think I'd qualify that with you know our our, our mission as a company is is to present as a technology thought leader in the space. You know, as I noted earlier, we made decisions early on. We're we're, we're not looking to figure out what what the best. Uh, way to price euro dollar is from from a fundamental standpoint um, or, or uh, what the best way to market out to different 
individuals looking to participate in this space is. But but from a standpoint of how to architect a, a scalable and performant technology backbone for, for this industry, you know, we have a lot of experience and 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 a lot of insights that are gleaned from a, a relative ubiquity in in servicing a, a number of different market participants up and down the the, the FX and, and OTC vertical. Um, I think when I look into the future of one zero, I, I I see and the industry as a whole, I, I see a couple awesome opportunities. Um, this industry, be it FX, as, as, as we previously categorized it, has grown into a, a multi-asset franchise capable of providing holistic experience across not, not only FX, but access to equities, future markets, and, and, and even new asset classes like, mm-hmm. like crypto, um, digital assets, and th- there's some interesting challenges and opportunities that come with that. I-, I often say to broker clients, you know, we should be we should be happy to see that that this new digital asset space has uh, made rise to a, a new generation of traders who-, who previously weren't interested in financial markets, and and we as the the now well regulated uh, mature scale technology wielding participants in the, you know, B2C financial market services space should be excited to see a, a, a whole new class of individuals that we can market to. Now, now they've come up trading an asset class that, that's relatively under-regulated and, and in some cases uh, uh, lacking understanding or, or exactly what we're purchasing, but there, there's a desire to speculate on a, on a financial instrument, and that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, they've also come with an expectation that, that access to financial markets is, is not bound to a, a, a nine to five market in, in, in a specific jurisdiction or exchange, or even a 24 by five market like FX, uh, you know, there, there, there's an expectation growing around trading 24 by seven and, and our ability to take the mature and, and regulated over-the-counter broker space that that uh, we've seen evolve over over the last decade plus and extend that scale and efficiency and transparency through the weekend is a challenge um, and and one that I think one zero is uniquely situated to, to help um, usher through in in the coming years and um, interesting overlap to our opportunity that we see um, upmarket in the vertical in the institutional space. A, lo- a lot of the high octane kit that, that we've used to perform and, and service some of the largest retail book brokers globally is proving to be very applicable in the insto market, mm-hmm. where, where things like the code of conduct um, and, and, and best execution standards that are rising are, are leading to a faster pace of market updates from, from the primary venues and direct banks and, and putting more pressure on legacy systems that, that is akin to what we've seen for, for a long time in retail. Sure. And, and so selling up market into Insto is exciting, building those workflows. And then just this, this convergence around the continuity of business, both, both from a disaster recovery standpoint, but also a trade through the weekend, even if you're doing maintenance standpoint, um, while at the same time we're seeing you know, a, probably a 10-year forward-looking trajectory of companies like the CME, 
Um, NASDAQ expressing interest in moving their, their matching engines in real-time execution to the cloud. Just a, a really exciting and transitional environment over the next decade as we we look to evolve financial services to some of these these new paradigms. Mm-hmm. And you did mention the institutional space. I know that that's something that you ventured into. I think over the last year or two, right? That was part of. I think that was part of your corporate um, strategy. And you just said that you know a lot of the things that you're doing or have been doing traditionally on the retail side, which have worked really well. It looks like they are very much applicable to the institutional space, but I wonder, uh, in in terms of in terms of your foray into, into institutional, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing in the institutional space going forward? You know, uh, as compared, let's say, to the traditional retail side. You know, it's interesting. We we spent a lot of time cognizant of this opportunity from day one. When when we started the company, we 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 were not looking to build. A retail-only technology. We we were aware of the opportunity that would exist up market, and spent a lot of time and investment in R and D architecting the system to be able to to scale, um, which, which proved to be a necessity in in the the size and complexity of our clients who who grew in the retail space over that period, but also. Um, demands that 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 come as a result of that increased pace of markets, both in insto and retail. One of the challenges is just the focused effort that we made within retail on performance and features and functionality uh, was absent of some of the the workflows that that you see in the insto space. And I often cheekily highlight it as slowing the system down. So so where. A lot of retail is driven by automated trading, delivery of liquidity through APIs. Um, you know, in, in the institutional space, you tend to see larger tickets, um, bigger trades, and manual trader workflows. So the, the desire to interact through through GUIs, the desire to, you know, if you're at a bank, be able to have a trade go through multiple layers of validation and, and manual certification before it's actually sent out to market or, or mm-hmm. some of the size of execution is so large that you actually send a, a, a request for a quote rather than receive a streaming price. And, and these workflows are, you know, we, we, with every challenge is always an opportunity uh, where we sit in, I think, a fortunate position saying, hey, we have the engine, we have, we have the backbone that, that, that can handle the scale and forward looking challenges as the pace of this market increases. We need to wrap that with with experience and 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 workflows that that come as a result of an institutional side of the space that that has defined ways of doing business. And so, the, though we were investing in our ability to service up market throughout the whole life cycle of one zero, the the specific shift in focus here over the last three years or so has been bringing in expertise, people like Phil and and, and an amazing team of um, institutionally seasoned veterans in building out these type of workflows and engaging with the type of counterparties that exist in that space and helping them understand how to introduce this in, into our platform and, and still benefit from all the scale and efficiency that we've uh, invested in over the whole whole tenure of the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Um so you mentioned uh, crypto, you know, as one of the asset classes that we all are sort of looking at these days. 
Um, you obviously have seen the, the the recent weakness in crypto assets in the last few months. You know, a lot of people in the media is calling it a so-called um, crypto winter. And, you know, when I speak to some of my other guests on the podcast, uh, people are sort of split on that terminology. Some people think that, you know, it's it's sort of like a, a little bit of a doomsday thing. Um, but I personally think that there's uh, actually opportunity here. And I wanted to know, do you agree with that phrase, you know, crypto winter? And, you know, if we assume that one zero is, is, you know, a company that takes the position that digital assets really are here to stay, um, you know, how have the recent events with crypto and, and market prices uh, impacted your business and perhaps your clients and their needs? So, you know, I, I often preface these conversations by saying, you know, despite having a ponytail and being in my 30s and, and working in financial services for the last decade, I, I, I don't I don't have a massive or, or, or any allocation into the crypto market today. Or uh, I, I like to use the term digital assets because I think crypto has, has a certain connotation to, to some of the earlier stages of this evolving paradigm that that I do believe is here to stay. Mm -hmm. and, and I said that back in 2018 during the, the so-called crypto winter 1.0, and <laughs> I say it today. I think um, wh whether or not a distributed ledger system is going to be a replacement for, for fiat as we know it, or whether it's a store of wealth that is supposedly uncorrelated from more speculative markets or, or you know, whether or not we'll find ourselves some way with just a, a, a great way to exchange currencies between different video game platforms and systems. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. And, and, you know, as a thought leader on the technology side, as we said earlier, I, I don't necessarily need to need to guide the industry in, in that <laughs> path. But but I, I, I do believe that that, um, you know, a, a, a distributed ledger or or. or um, hashtag resources that that are immutable and 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 trackable have, have interesting connotations and applicability and and certainly the proof is in the pudding that they've garnered a lot of attention from from investors in both the retail and institutional space. So, mm -hmm. in, investing in these assets from a technology perspective alongside different asset classes is something that we're very good at, and and you know uh, we 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 have no intention to rename ourselves one zero blockchain systems and 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 jump full bore into this space but but i do believe and and continue to invest you know win, winter spring summer or fall whatever it is that the uh the the need to to be ahead of some of these challenges some some of which are asset class related some of which are fundamental you know the mm -hmm. trading 24 7 is starting to become an expectation that will trickle into other markets that is not unique to to, to Bitcoin or Ethereum or, or, or whatever the next digital asset may be, mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's, it's a paradigm shift that was brought about by this new asset class's rapid and, and um, very visible rise to relevance and, and, and an area that we continue to put a lot of focus in terms of our team, our technology, and our conversations with, with clients who we're partnering with to, to understand where, where they want to be in in um th this this new paradigm mm -hmm. yeah that makes that makes uh, definitely makes a lot of sense 
Um, I wanted to shift back to you for a second. Um, so we so we discussed, you know, where Andrew's from. Obviously, you guys just opened up a brand new office in Boston. Let's say, hypothetically speaking, there was no office in Boston and you guys were all working remotely. Would you still live in the Northeast? Like, what's your... Um, What's your sort of big connection to the Northeast? I know you're historically from there, but we're so globalized these days. You can live anywhere you want, right? Is it is it like access to family, being close to family, being close to some leisure activities or outdoor activities that you, you know, have enjoyed since your um, childhood years, perhaps, or something like that? I guess what's keeping you in the Northeast besides work and, and maybe family? <laughs> Well, it's a good question. And, and, and as a result of, of being part of this amazing global industry, I, I've had the, the privilege and luxury of a lot of travel, domestic and abroad. I, I've been to a lot of amazing places in the world, uh, uh, a lot of which I, I, I feel uh, uh, like, like, like a second home or, or, or have that same love for. But mm -hmm. um, we, we do tend to gravitate back towards the familiar and, and Re removing even some of my bias there, I, I, I just think the New England area is a, is a great place to be. We've got four fully fledged seasons, which means you know, we, we, we both get to experience a variety of leisure activities, be it, be it skiing or, or, or golfing in the summer or going to the lake or um, being out in the woods in the fall. And, and uh, we also always have something to complain about. So as soon as you're tired of winter and it's too cold, it's spring and it's too wet, it's summer, it's too hot. And I often struggle to explain what I could possibly complain about with the with the New England fall as I, I, I look out the winter here and we're, we're right in the midst of the changing of leaves and, and a great area of the world. And you know, I think New Englanders have a great balance of, of um, we, we can be a little sarcastic and edgy, but, but it, it's generally a, a pretty kind area. You, you, you break down on the side of the road, somebody is going to pull over and help you out. And, and, um, you know, it, it there, there's a familiarity to it. I like to recognize that bias, but, but also acknowledge what you noted that there's a choice and, mm -hmm. um, it, it also helps that I, I currently have a, a four-year-old and a three-year-old and, and, both my wife and my family live within, within 15 minutes of where we are today, which is it's, it's a blessing um, not only to be able to see your, your kids grow up with, with access to their grandparents um, from, from, a, from both sides of that equation, but also to be able to drive down the road and, and dump your kids off from time to time <laughs> when you need a break. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the complaining during, you know, each season is something that uh, all of us do. I mean, even here in New York, obviously, I'm outside of New York City. But uh, again, if, it, you know, in the winter, it's too cold, in the summer, it's too hot. And then in between, it's 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 a different variation of complaining, <laughs> complaining about something that's going on with the weather. But I think you absolutely correctly noted, I mean, j just uh, the autumn and the fall, I mean, for our listeners who live outside of the United States or maybe in the south of the U.S. where they don't necessarily have a changing of leaves, uh, I was just up in Vermont this weekend, and it might not be peak foliage season yet, but even then, it, it was just gorgeous and amazing, the views that were up there that I saw. It is, it's a spectacular time of year. And is there, uh, is there something else that we can sort of recommend to, to our audience, like people who may have not been to the Northeast or have been, but didn't have a chance to explore skiing, golfing. Um, what else can we recommend for them in the different sort of in the different seasons? What's there to, what's some of the cool stuff to do in the summer when it's kind of hot in the, in the area? 
Uh, well, uh, my 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 wife would would roll her eyes in in um, hearing this response because I, I I'm often um, transitioning from from one hobby to another as a result of that seasonality. So I I, I like to golf in the summer. I also you know New England New Hampshire. Um, has an a, a amazing access to, to lakes and, and uh, landbound water bodies. And so be, being out on the boat, uh, hunting, uh, fishing, wakeboarding, those, those type of things are, are all accessible to us. The, the um, ability to, to switch to skiing in the winter. Um, we, we, I, I was spoiled recently. Um, well, not so recently, maybe in the last five years, I had never skied out West and we started doing some company trips there and, and recognized that um, New England skiing is, is, is in a class of its own in terms of uh, the amount of ice versus powder, but we mm -hmm. have great mountains here. We have great outdoor activities in the winter. Um, re re really anything outside the confines of the four walls of your house are, are going to be what you want to do if you're out in New England. Unfortunately, New Hampshire has one of the tiniest coastlines in, in, um, in the area. So I don't want to say going out on the ocean, though, if you mm -hmm. expand back to my New Englander reference, you know, the, the main coastline, absolutely beautiful, the Vermont woods. I'm a big maple syrup person. If anybody's <laughs> ever in New England in the fall and wants to stop by and chat FX and also see how a maple syrup operation functions, I'd be happy to walk through you. Oh, that's cool. So you can make homemade stuff, homemade syrup. Yep. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. I got to take you up on that one day <laughs> when I'm passing through the area. Uh, listen, last time you and I met, um, we were just chit-chatting. Uh, you had mentioned, um, I think it was a bit frustrating. You were building a house, I think in New Hampshire for the family. I wanted to ask how that's going and if, if that project has been completed. The reason why I ask is a lot of people, you know, in, in the, um, in like sort of, uh, the global, uh, you know, economic space, the media, people are saying, oh, you know, supply chain disruptions are coming down, things are improving and things like that. But I'm seeing sort of, you know, hit or miss in terms of that. Like, how does that project going? Did it get completed? Or are you still dealing with, you know, oh, we can't get this in and, and there's delays or like, how, how has that been? Uh, on a philosophical basis, I've started to, to, to dissonantly ask myself, is ever, is any house ever complete or, or, or is there a, a constant opportunity for continuous improvement? Um, this is certainly the, the decision to, to, to situate up in New England and, 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 um, build a house was one we made before uh, the pandemic and some of the supply chain and labor issues that came as a result of that. It, it um, in some ways was frustrating, in some ways al also enlightening. I, I think you know, towards the tail end of this project, it, it was really eye opening um, to, to get insight into some of the staffing and, and supply issues that, that transcended massive massively between industries not not just oh different financial services have different talent pools or technology companies need things but mm -hmm. um you know, a, a brick and mortar type type service or, or or function doesn't require that i i had a very interesting week early in the summer where, where um staffing issues late stage pandemic uh proliferation of of um, some of the last strains of COVID were, were causing staffing issues where you know, the, the, the person doing the, 
the final stages of landscaping have the same challenges in, in getting concrete and the people to, to, to bring it to the house that, that the consultant for our Atlassian JIRA migration was also seeing similar <laughs> staffing challenges. And my IT team, you know, we could uh, seeing chip shortages in, in, in procuring hardware and, and just that, that cascading uh, po- post-pandemic effect of, of some of the people and and materials side of, of almost every interesting every industry was was really interesting and and I, I guess somewhat cathartic or, or at least um, placating a bit to know that that you weren't alone even in your own project in your own segment of the industry <laughs> and and um, you know ha- happy to say that that, that we, we've seen that alleviate to, to most extents across the board mm-hmm. um, not not looking to take a position on the the housing market here in the U.S. and and what that means for builders or developers in general, but but ha- have seen a, a, a an increase between you know consultants for migrations or or or, or landscaping procurement activities that that um, it does seem the world is is returning back to normal. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, I know we don't have that much time left, but I want to ask you just a couple more questions. I saw that you from time to time you do I think team building events with with your guys uh i think in boston maybe even in new york um i've seen you guys attend baseball games is that like a is baseball a passion of yours i wanted to know kind of what your sports tastes are what your musical tastes are again being as you're from new england i would say oh andrew's probably a red sox fan in terms of baseball uh maybe a patriots football fan something like that um, how does, how do your personal tastes maybe even tie into, you know, some of the team building stuff that you do and some of the other, uh, members on your team, specifically in the Northeast, like in Boston? Well, we, we could do a, we could do a whole podcast <laughs> on, on the spectrum of team building events at one zero, which range from, um, you know, what, what, what looked like the combination of, of, of a rave, but also a, a live action role-playing event all the, <laughs> all the way up into, to, uh, you know, book clubs, uh, sports activities. I think, you know, focusing on the sports area, the question, I, 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 I like to be humble and recognize where, where I've been very fortunate in life and, and some in my control, some not in, in terms of being in college, from 2002 to 2006 and and um not not um bound by the by the shackles of of, of late stage business development one zero or, or or growing a family in in uh the 2006 to 2010 era i i was blessed with an amazing period of of boston sports be it the uh, the Red Sox, the Patriots, the Celtics, the Bruins—we we we were really really spoiled here as an area of the world in terms of accessibility to sports, the the, the culture of a place like Fenway Park, and and the 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 success of all those great teams. And and I think I, I might even hesitate to bring it up if if not for the recent uh, challenges that we're seeing, and 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 I guess being 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 humbled in a different way. <laughs> and, and, in late stage, and, and fortunately, I'm at a stage in my sports career where where there are just too many MLB games for me to be passionate about about the latest Yankees Red Sox series, and and do still follow you know NFL football and the Patriots very closely, and and appreciate a broader spectrum of teams as a result of some of our great athletes trickling um, a, a, around the league. 
Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so listen, Next, the next podcast episode that we do together, we will certainly touch in more detail about these topics because they are definitely of interest to definitely of interest to us. In the interest of time, last question. If you recall, we had a, a personal conversation uh, back in, in Cyprus. And, you know, you and you and I and many of our colleagues, we've been in buy-side meetings and sell-side meetings pretty much our whole careers, right? Um, you had mentioned something, you were, you know, whatever. You went to some meeting and you came back and you were like, you know what? The person that I was just negotiating with or, or uh, speaking with gave me the impression that they're, you know, gave me an impression that they're a good guy right and we had this short conversation with you about how that's a very important thing and and probably in any industry you know you're generally uh known and seen uh, as a good guy um i i wonder if you could give our audience any kind of you know tips on how you know in business negotiations how to quickly spot a good guy versus a bad guy (laughs) in our industry (laughs) In 2022, I'd start by saying a good person can be on either side of a business oh, conversation. Yes. And, Sorry. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's an interesting conversation, especially when you look broadly across the entire globe. And and again, citing back to the 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 benefit that I've had of of of, of being adopted as a world citizen throughout the the development of One Zero, exposed to a lot of different cultural negotiation contractual styles and and you know that there there's there's something that comes with the the value of a promise kept versus a contract to enforce um some aspect of a relationship um i i've always been big on on underselling and over delivering i think reputation comes not as the result of what you say you can do but what you do do and Mm -hmm. and your actions And, and to some extent that's legacy so you know and, and and I guess in financial services, also past performance is not indicative of future <laughs> results. But you know, there, there's a read that you can get in in sitting down with people, uh, you know, over a meal or a drink, and getting a sense of 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 who they are as an individual. And I think a, a, a desire to do that uh, on either side of the conversation is indicative of a good person and somebody who who I look to engage with in business. I I, I have made it a point. You know, as, especially as as you deal with the challenges of travel and conferences in in growing a family and and not wanting to be away from my kids, I I do try to make it a point to make each event about business, about thought leadership, but but also about cultural engagement, a- appreciating something unique to each area of the world that I'm blessed to be able to visit, be it. Uh, get, getting out on the gorgeous Mediterranean while in, in Cyprus and enjoying um, the, 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 the culinary uniqueness of a specific region. Um, that, that, that's important to me. And, and as, as you build a circle of individuals and friendships, really, in, in an industry, you know, the one, one way to separate the good from the bad is, is, is just the people who organically and naturally gravitate towards a desire to, to, to not just close a deal or sign an agreement or, or figure out the best way to, to benefit off, off these interactions and coalescence that occurs around travel and conferences, et cetera. And, and mm-hmm. those people that just want to experience local culture, or experience each other in the form of, of conversation and engagement outside of, outside of the work we do. Mm-hmm. And really find out more about you as a person, right? And ultimately... A key thing that I always do and I look for in others is, you know, asking about family and kids and 
I, I rarely bring out my phone at a dinner anymore and, and, and you, you won't catch me doing a sales pitch um, over, over a meal, but, but you ask about my family and you're going to get pictures of my kids. And I, mm-hmm. and that, I, I love it when that goes both ways and, uh, you know, seeing people develop not only personally, professionally, but also extending themselves through family, I think is a, is a great indicator of somebody who is, uh, a, a well-balanced and, and good partner to bring on in, in business, friendship, life, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, well, Andrew, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts, uh, both business and personal. Um, very much enjoyed our conversation and really hope to do it again uh, at some point soon. And uh, once again, thanks for joining us today. I, I really appreciate the time in the venue and looking forward to continuing the conversation. Likewise. Thanks for listening to our latest Finance Feeds podcast episode. For sponsorship opportunities or to become a guest, please email us at info at financefeeds.com.